Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford, and it is time for a very special episode of The Pit. Joining me, a dear friend of the show and our source of everything financial, Noel Perry. Noel, welcome back. Hi, Kevin. How are you? I am doing great. It's been a long time since we've talked. It's great to have you back on the show. Well, I'm, I'm pleased to be here. Thank you. So uh, before we jump right into all the important stuff I want to talk about, or maybe all the unimportant stuff, let's get the important stuff underway. So where are you in the world today? Uh, well, it is, it is very important. I am in Southern California wearing my Phillies red, making all the Dodger fans angry. <laughs> oh, it feels so good. I'll bet it does. <laughs> How's the weather there? Well, 111 winds and it didn't do them a damn thing. <laughs> the wind, weather's perfect. Yeah, the weather is perfect, although uh, it was perfect in Pennsylvania when I left yesterday, too. Ah, okay. So, uh, Pennsylvania, I think I was walking by and heard you and Lisa talking about fall foliage. One of my favorite things. Well, this is uh, this is one of the one of those one in 20 years when the foliage in Southern Pennsylvania is as good as it is in New England. Wow. It's just fabulous. Wow. That's spectacular. Reds and oranges and yellows. Yeah. 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 yeah you know, I, I it's like a in, bottle. It. I, yeah. Yeah. I grew up in Northeast Ohio. So you definitely knew it was fall. We got some beautiful colors, nothing like, you know, upstate yes, New, yes. York and New England, yeah. but it was, you knew it was fall. And I loved that time of year. Uh, one of my favorite trips, the uh, when Lisa and I first decided to become homeless and travel around the country in the RV and do the show, uh, one of our first trips, and it was absolutely planned, uh, we went to New Hampshire, and we got there about a week before the colors really started, and we stayed till they were gone. And it was just Oh, isn't that wonderful? Yeah, it was spectacular. Just loved it. I. I lived in uh, in New England several years, including a year in northern Maine. Oh, wow. Where the colors are as bright as I've ever seen them. The only problem is they're done by the second week of September. <laughs> you better, better get <laughs> them quick and there. enjoy them, yeah. Yes, you're right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Mm -hmm. At one other time, I uh, actually went over and visited a company I'm sure you're familiar with. Uh, I did some speaking and some work with A. Dewey Pyle. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, so... Yeah, local company in Philly. Yeah, mm -hmm. went over to their headquarters and then uh, we jumped in an RV and drove up to, uh, to a couple of their terminals and it was it was right in the peak of the colors and it was just a uh, just a beautiful time traveling around. Pennsylvania is a good place. It it's is. Uh, it's in in a lot of respects it reminds you of Oregon. Yeah, you know the 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 big thing I do miss here. It never feels like fall here. So this year was, oh, no, no, no. We had such an unusual year this year. We had a really late start to summer, no spring whatsoever. It felt like we went from cold, wet, which is our winter, um, to hot, dry, which is our summer. I mean, we, we really never yeah. got any rain in the summertime here. And then, but the nice thing was it, we got it on the back end. Um, October for us is usually that's winter. I mean, it's wet and cold, and but this October, really? okay. up until just a couple of days ago, was spectacular. Hot and sunny, and it's like overnight somebody flips the switch, and now it's 50 degrees and wet, and it'll be this way till next summer. Yeah. Well, 
I got a golf day next week. I'm not, I'm expecting Pennsylvania to be just, just right. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. There you go. So uh, it's been a long time since we've talked. I feel like we've been in touch because I get your emails all the time and I read every one of them. There's always good information, but you and I haven't spoken. Thank we haven't you. done a show in a long time. Well, here I am, and, and uh, uh, looking forward to talking about this fascinating industry we were part of. Yeah. So one of the things that's changed now that we're no longer on serious cancel culture got us. Um, we're loving doing our own show, our own network. We have our own app. We control everything. We can't be canceled anymore. Uh, we don't do breaks. There are no commercials on the show. We uh, we've had. I don't want to panic you. We've had some shows go three and a half hours, no breaks, no commercials, which we love. The flow is so much better. You're not constantly interrupting people when they're trying to make a point and then coming back and you never get right back to the point you were on. So uh, we really like that. And a, a show like yours where there's, there's so much information and, and we really want to get you know points across, this format is is so much better for us. The other thing we've done what we used to call segments when we were on Sirius, you know, we might do a segment about health or a segment about fuel mileage or maintenance. Mm -hmm. um, now those have all become their own show. Uh, and the show we're recording today, we actually call The Pit, and it's Politics in Trucking. And it, we're going to talk a lot about money and numbers in the industry, but it, it, I was trying to figure out where which show we wanted you on, and I thought, you know, it's almost impossible to separate what's going on in our economy and economy in the industry right now from politics. So this seemed like a, a really good show to talk about all this and we can get as political as we want and we're never politically correct. So anything goes on the show. Sure. Good. Far away. All right. I, lo I love talking politics. Yeah. I kind of figured <clears throat> that. So I thought we'd have fun mixing it up and, uh, being able to tie in what's going on with the industry and, and what's going on with politics and uh, just just such a crazy time from, you know, my point of view. I'm sure you have lots of opinions about it. Why don't we start with um, you, you're traveling around, you're always talking to people in the industry. What, what's the general feel right now in the industry? Oh, I think everybody's still euphoric over what happened the last couple of years. I don't That's think they're... It's kind of what they're, I thought. Uh, you know, I, yeah, I, you know, here uh, I, I'm not going to name names, but I'm, I, I gave a uh, presentation today to a, a nice outfit in Southern California, and um, the weather's beautiful. And uh, even though that cost me 190 bucks to get here from the airport, <laughs> uh, they're all re real happy. You know, I, I mean, there's some, there's always somebody that asks a question about politics, but. Uh, uh, it's that um, uh, dumb and happy. Uh, it's the worst time to be so, but you know, human nature is we we're looking back over our shoulder, not where we're going. You know that that was yeah. one of the things I I had a note here, and I wanted to talk to you about because we're we're really still seeing the same thing. You, you and I kind of almost work on two opposite ends of the spectrum in the industry. Um, I'm down with the you know the really little guys every day. And yeah, they're, they're, and they're beginning to hurt. They're they're starting, but you know, not huh? not so starting. much the um, the people who really follow my show, listen to the show, the, the the regulars, the people that are on our website all the time, the people that come to our events. 
they really have not seen any real issues yet. In fact, uh, one of our, our uh, he's actually a part of our show, um, calls in a lot. His wife works for us, so I, I see his numbers all the time. He, he's still setting records. He is generating so much revenue with just one truck and one driver, and I'm shocked by it. Numbers I never thought we'd be able to do with one truck, and he, he's still doing them. Last month was still a great month for him. Well, all I can tell you, you know, I'm, I have a relationship with uh, truckstop.com and they track a lot of data in the, uh, in the market, mainly from brokers, different uh, perspective, but their, their numbers say that the spot market is back to normal. Now it's not in recession. It's back to normal, but it's, it's well below what was going on, uh, as late as, uh, January and February. So uh, my guess is the people you're talking to are the ones who really know how to provide service. It, it, it really is. And it, it's also, you know, our, our philosophy and what, what I've tried to get across to these, you know, smaller carriers with their authority is get yourself just a handful of brokers. The three to five at the most really build a relationship with them, really provide good value and good service to yep. them. And I think what's happening is is a lot of times they're, they're not really on the spot market at that point. You know, they're, they're getting that broker's No, no, rate. no, you're right. Yes. And, you know, in essence, they're uh, on the contract side. More so, uh, yeah. Because, you know, well, you know, I mean, maybe not from a technical standpoint, but if you think about the economics of it, you know, they're in a marketplace that uh, is still pretty strong and it's, um, it's, it, it's, said as much by what's been happening the last year as it is what's happening tomorrow. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so they're, you know, they're, they're still living under, um, relationships that were established really hammered solid, uh, last year and, uh, and early this year when the brokers really needed their help. Yep. Yep. Um, and, and, uh, and you know, we would get those calls, and it, people are talking, you know, when they were talking about the crazy numbers on the spot market, the $4 freight that, you know, used to be $2 freight. Yeah. And, and they, they all got it. You know, they were all saying, we could go grab that stuff, but we're not going to. We're going to stick with our brokers. We're going to stick with the service we've been providing them. And I, I just think that's such a great strategy. Well, you know, I, I was talking with somebody today about, what to do about the next year, which is not going to be a good year by my estimation. And, um, and they kept saying, well, what are we supposed to do? And, and, um, you know, my answer was the people that are successful in today's marketplace, particularly today's marketplace are the ones who can manage through the business cycle. They know not to overdo it when things are up and they know how to, how to keep going at the bottom. And they, so when everybody else is scrambling to catch up, these people are moving forward steadily. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we talk about that more at, at the fleet level. The good fleets are, you know, really good at doing that. But, uh, you know, we've, we've got the same thing going on down here at the owner-operator level. Well, yeah. and, and it's really well, working. Well, I'm not uh, – you know, I want to contradict you a, a little bit there. One of the things that I've learned – um, over my 40 years of doing this work is that that 
um, the small guys, um, from a success standpoint, have a, just about the same uh, distribution of of good and bad as the big guys. Yeah, we all, you know, we we yeah. End, yeah. The only difference is the small guys are more entrepreneurial, and you get more new entrants at in good times amongst the small guys than the big guys. But you know, with respect to how the best ones manage their business, um, it, it isn't that much different. And uh, by the way, the margins aren't that much different. Yeah, no, they're really it's my not. experience anyway. Yeah, they're really not. Um, I, if anything, much better on the small side. You know, the, the big guys have to make a lot of stuff up in volume. You know, they might be able to get pricing discounts, but they can't control their everyday expenses like we can on the bottom end. And that's all I've hammered into people for years. You know, the revenue will come from building good relationships. You don't need to really put a lot of time and thought into the revenue side of this. Go build good relationships. The revenue will follow and then spend all your time on the bottom line. Spend all your time on expenses and how much of that revenue can we keep? And nobody can control costs like a good owner-operator can. Well, if I were a consultant, a operating consultant to the big guys, I would tell them exactly the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and, uh, and some of them, like Kevin Knight, know how to do it. Some don't. So, huh? Yeah, you're right. You're right. Absolutely. Uh, another thing that, that really is still benefiting the, the, the you know, people we want to deal with and the, and the things we've been teaching for years um, anybody on the small side right now that's complaining about fuel prices is an idiot. I mean, this is always a huge advantage for the small owner operator when, when fuel prices are up like this, because the surcharge is always going to be there. It has to be, we have to move the freight oh, yes, and, and that's what's required to make everybody else profitable yeah, enough. And it's we, a pass through. Yeah. We, we do a, we do a show on Fridays now called Trucking Technology and Efficiency. And uh, I have two other partners that do the show with me, two other hosts. Um, one of them uh, is an owner-operator. Um, his family has owned a, a trucking company forever, Ploger, out of Ohio. Uh, more of a, a mm -hmm. pretty small regional carrier there in Ohio, but they've been growing and expanding. He comes out to the West Coast sometimes. Uh, that's a family-run business. He's been in it forever, but he stayed on the driver's side, loves the trucks, loves the technology, and he also just recently works very closely with Volvo Corporate, testing new new stuff on the road and fuel economy stuff. Mm -hmm. He sure. built, built a new truck. We are now pushing, and th this isn't a number where we're talking about, yeah, he hit this once this month. We're really looking at 10 and a half to 11 miles to the gallon on these trucks now. Okay, well, I want you to explain something to me. Uh, and if you want me to stop, okay, because we're not talking politics yet here. But <laughs> if if the owner-operators are going to get 10 miles a gallon, how come they have so much chrome sitting out in the windstream? They don't. These guys or don't. Are you not, you know, these guys don't. That, okay, these guys don't. Yep, okay. This is... <laughs> This is, a, yep. it, okay. it, if you were to see Joel's, now, if you were to see Joel's truck right now, you'd walk around it and go, wow, what's that? I mean, really, um, yeah. really high-end testing aerodynamic stuff, testing new tire combinations, oh, sure. new weight combinations, new axle combinations. And, and 
So it, it's pretty interesting. He's up there with the brand new latest cutting edge technology. His, his latest Volvo just came off the line like a month ago. I mean, that's how new this newest truck is. On the other yeah. hand, we have another guy that's been following us forever, and he is he is like the uh, he builds his own aerodynamic devices in his garage, and and at some point, I think oh. he might end up bringing one of them to market. I mean, he's he's always he is driving a two thousand and one international with uh, probably a gazillion miles on it by now, and he has been averaging for several years now over 10 miles to the gallon. That's his average. Now, he doesn't have some of the emission controls on that. None. On that Virtually uh, none rig. on an 01, right? That helps. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. So, uh, but when you start looking at um, fuel at five, what are we at? Like $5.34 a gallon right now is the yeah, national yeah, average. Yeah, that's about right, I think, yeah. You combine that with 10 miles to the gallon, your fuel is free, and they're paying you to put it in the tank. Now explain that those economics to me. So here's free. I, I, oh, free compared to the, the competition. Is that right? Um, let me see if I. This is always a hard concept to explain when I don't have a chart and papers and numbers in in front of me and you. Okay. But here's so the fuel surcharge. The the way it works. Oh, I get it. I get yeah, it. I get it. I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. It, it yeah, it's yeah, designed. Yeah, okay. Yes. It's designed to make sure that a truck that gets six miles to the gallon, that's the number we've yes. been using forever. Yes, I see it. Never has yep. an increase in cost. Their cost will always, their fuel cost net will always stay the same. Well, if you get yes, more exactly. than six, your fuel cost keeps going down every time the fuel price goes up. And at some point you hit zero. They, they collect right more are. in pure fuel surcharge. They collect more revenue for fuel surcharge than they're paying out for fuel. Yep. I get it. It, 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 it just shocks me that more people don't understand that and take advantage of that. So that's how we have these guys that are just setting records on revenue right now. Rates are still strong. Fuel prices are above $5 to the gallon. It, it, I've never seen anything like it. Well, you know, um, you ever heard, the, uh, heard of the philosopher Voltaire, the French guy? Yes. Well, well his... Uh, he, he coined my favorite business quote. Common sense is not very common. <laughs> it's a simple one too, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes, it is. I can even do it in French if you want me to. <laughs> yeah. uh, but yes, uh, it, it, uh, you know, I drive a um, expensive car in part because I have just a little bit of common sense. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, you know, one yeah, other thing. And, and I've seen the things you guys drive in the Southeast. You have some common sense, too. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, one of the other things we, we just started to touch on a little bit, it's been a, uh, a, a big issue for me for years. I've talked about it. And one of the questions I used to get a lot when we had a lot of new listeners and, you know, people didn't really know as much about what the show was probably the most common question I would get. Somebody would call up, I've been in the industry for, you know, 17 years driving or whatever their backstory is. And 
I want to be an owner-operator. Is this a good time to do it? And my standard answer was, it's always a good time or it's never a good time. And it has nothing whatsoever to do with the economy because look around. We've been through every economic cycle you can imagine in the last, you know, 50 years in trucking, including coming out of deregulation, right? I mean, we came out Mm -hmm. of deregulation. There's not much bigger than that. And in all that time, people always make money with trucks, right? Whether it's a good economy, a bad economy, if they weren't making money, we wouldn't have trucks. Nobody would do this for free. So it's not the economy. And their, their question is, well, then what is it? it? It's you. Are you ready to be in business? And if you are, then there's never a bad time to get into business. And if you're not, there's never a good time to get into business. I don't care how good the rates are or mm-hmm. what's going on. And once I get them to understand that, then I'll say, if you're ready and you really want to know my opinion of the best time. I don't think there's a bad time if you're ready, but if you want to know my opinion of the best time, it's after we've been at the bottom for a while and we can expect to start to come out, but we really haven't started to yet. You know, we try to look around the corner a little bit and that's why I love your material and I love our relationship with you because you help me see around those corners. That's the best time. And if you can well, you know, put I said together that, a business it, plan that's profitable at that time when we're at the bottom, then what would you ever have to worry about? You know, I, I, I have a chart that shows exactly that, and I used it today in my presentation. Well, I love that. And uh, if, if we're going to uh, talk about such things, my, you know, there's, a, there's been a flurry of acquisitions over the past year. Yeah, and uh, if we use your same logic, this is the absolute worst time to make acquisitions. <laughs> Except that's when everybody does it. You know, pay a high price and have bad prospects. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> Whereas if you do it at the bottom, you pay a low price and you have good prospects. <laughs> have you seen the you price know, of uh, trucks? Oh, it's terrible. I I never thought we would see this, not as fast as it happened. We went from, in my mind, a new truck is a $150,000 investment, give or take. You know, you want some Mm -hmm. bells and whistles, you're going to pay a little more. You want to go cheap, you could probably get something for a little less. That number has now become like $230,000. Inflation is a terrible thing, Kevin. It worries me to death. It's, it's just awful. And I have, and, and this is the one time where I'll say, look, even if you are ready and I've said there's never a bad time, I, I probably shouldn't use the word never because I can't imagine trying to go out and buy a truck and get started right now. But what I would tell you to oh, do. Oh, no, it's the worst time. Yeah. Yeah. But, but what I would tell you to do is start planning, start learning, start reading more books about exactly. business. Now get, get, get it all down on paper and don't be in a hurry. You have lots of time to think all this through, get all kinds of answers, and and then you'll be ready to pull the trigger after we've been in the bottom for a while and we think it's time to come out. Yep. So uh, you're asking the economist, uh, launch in um, February of nineteen of 2024. I, I love that. There we go. We have something to look forward to. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah, the, uh, 
you're, you're there just as the season begins. You, you could launch in January to get a little experience when it's quiet, but, uh, you know, the, the uh, seasonals will be coming back in again, and uh, the economy should be strengthening. Fantastic. That's now we haven't talked uh, politics yet, and if you want to talk politics, I might uh, have to have to uh, to uh, change that forecast. But uh, oh, <laughs> putting politics aside, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's yeah. a good thing. Yeah, I, I do yeah. want to get to politics. I, I I think we've we've probably you know I talk about the industry a lot. I use your numbers a lot, you know, because I do get the emails, I read them, I share them on the air, I share your thoughts about what's going on. So we do. You know, the, the people who listen to the show pretty regular, they know where we are on rates right now. They know, you know, what mm-hmm. we can expect. Um, it, it, you know, it, I've said a lot. I, I hate to try to make predictions because I really don't like to be wrong. And normally with predictions, it's we probably got it right, but our timing might be off. Uh, that's, a good, that's a good way to look at it. You know, some, you know, I was thinking about that today and right now I'm certain of direction. I'm not certain of timing and sometimes I'm certain of timing, but not direction. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> but I, my, my point is most people are uncertain about both or, and so what you got to do is leverage what you know. Go ahead. Yeah. Or it's like they don't even think about either one. That's even worse. Uh, uh, who you know? As long as we're talking politics, who was it? Um, Cheney? No, the um, the def- the um, Secretary of Defense for Bush, uh, guy from Texas, whatever his name was. He said um, uh, something like, um, "Some people uh, know what they know. Uh, some people don't know what they know." And some people don't know what they don't know. That's the worst. <laughs> We're talking about that last group, aren't we? <laughs> right. That is the worst. And and I've found myself in that position sometimes. I don't even know what I don't know. And it's a bad place to be. Well, it it it, it is um what's the word? Okay, so let's let's think about the future a little bit. The next three or four years is going to be still in the old regime. And so we know a lot about it. We may not know timing. We may not know whether there'll be shocks that'll hit us like Putin doing something really stupid. Uh, but we know basically how the industry works. And, and I'll say this flatly. What's happened in the industry the last four years, uh, five years since uh, 2017, uh, has been uh, completely within the normal behavior of this industry. And the only thing that's unusual is we had that shock from the outside called COVID and the, and the government's uh, uh, incompetent handling of it. Yeah. Everything else was perfectly consistent with what's happened in the future. I mean, in the past. Yeah. And, you know, and as a result, I'm finishing up my best set of forecasting in terms of accuracy that I've ever had. <laughs> Well, that's good. Um, and 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 all I did was say, okay, this happened before. What what happened? Okay, this is what's going to happen. And happen and now, now and yeah. For instance, in uh, uh, in 2016, I said, oh, ELDs, isn't this just what happened in 04? Right. And then then in 2020, when the economy shut down, I said, wait a minute, didn't this just just happen in 08 and 09? Yeah. 
And sure enough, it did. And, and I, I was fortunate to say, oh, in 2020, we're going to have the tightest market in history in six months. Because, uh, you know, you, you shut the economy down. At the same time, you're stimulating the hell out of it. <laughs> as soon as you open up, people are going to buy a lot of stuff. Hell, I bought four watches. I bought four watches. What did I need four watches for? <laughs> Oh, it it was just a crazy time. It it just you're right. It sure was. They had money. They were tired of being cooped up. They wanted stuff. They Mm -hmm. it's just, and we see the results. And I I don't know when it's going to end. Now there's another side to this, and I'm I'll say the extreme piece of it. Uh, We're all familiar. You certainly are more than most with the digital revolution. Yes. Uh, and it is so powerful that the world 10 years from now, 15 years from now, is a world that not only don't we know about it, but we have no idea what we're supposed to know. It's completely new. You, you know. And the only advantage, yeah, go ahead. No, don't finish that. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, the only advantage to knowing that. Uh, understanding that statement is if you don't know what's important, then the only thing you can do is really watch. Pay attention. And try to learn as much as you can. So when it actually happens, you might see it start. Pay attention. Or you might understand it a year earlier than your competition. Yeah. But to say that I can describe the industry of 20... 35, it's foolishness. All I know is it's going to be radically different. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. You know, when, when we talk about future years, I think people think they're farther away than what they really are. Like 2035 sounds like oh, so far in the right future. Right on, right but, on, Kevin, right on. But, but one of the ways I've, I've tried to help people think about this is 2035 is, is that's 13 years from now. It seems like it's really far in the future, but just look 13 years back. That doesn't seem like it was, that, that seems like it was yesterday. <laughs> well, if you're 75 like I am, yeah. 13 years in the future is, is an instant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, time does seem yeah, to I'm, change. I'm hoping it lasts forever. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> but, I just, but it won't. I just think people have a blind spot with the future. Like they, like they. Oh, we do. Yeah, but. Sometimes I say, well, well, just think. It's not that far. Think about what you were doing 13 years ago and how much has it really changed till now? Almost nothing. But watch what's going to happen in the next 13. Uh, well, you know, my mother was raised uh, in a house that had uh, the only entertainment in her house was her playing the piano. And when she died, she had at her fingertips the greatest music in the world, all of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just by pushing a button, just the crazy. things that she saw. Yes. It, yeah, I, and, well, and the things that we've seen. I won't remember the numbers on this, but and you may even, um, but you'll you'll get the gist. I I saw something online, and it was comparing um, the Wright brothers' flight to landing on the moon and that was within a human's lifetime 
somebody there were people that watched, watched that first flight of the Wright brothers and they were still alive when we landed on the oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it was only um, 70, yeah, uh, 65 years. I, yeah, that sounds about right. I wasn't going to remember the numbers. That sounds about right. It was right. O, it, 03 or 04 and uh, 1970, wasn't it? Yeah. 69. Yeah. yeah. yeah wasn't yeah, that crazy? Yeah. 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 So here's... Yeah. Well, I, I was... Yeah, go ahead. You know, you mentioned that I... I probably up on this more than, than a lot of people. And in the industry, I follow it, but technology in general, I've always just been fascinated by it. You know, timing was good for me. I um, built my first computer in like 1983. I was in the army at the time and built it from parts in Radio Shack. And I've been, you know, just fascinated with technology ever since. But I, I have to admit this, and I'm almost embarrassed to say this. It was just a couple of years ago not that long ago, and I remember reading an article in some obscure thing, and it was talking about a patent that Amazon had filed for delivery drones. I thought it was a joke. I, I, I couldn't imagine that, uh, it, even my mind, as much as I follow technology, my first reaction was, this is a joke. They're not going to be delivering packages with a drone. They're doing it already. Oh yeah, well you know, it's uh, uh, interesting you should say drones uh, because they they tell us how the trucking automation is is going to un, unfold. Um, uh, yes, there are still substantial limits on what a drone can do, uh, in part because they might crash into each other. However, just as you said, in the right applications, they're already in regular use. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and and well, for that matter, I mean, you know this as well as I do. There are um, uh, op, uh, trucking operations, usually mining trucking operations, where the trucks are not manned anymore. Right, right. And uh, you know, and the warehouse industry, whatever you want to call that industry, I th I think it's more about picking and distribution. But that industry is already way down the uh, path. Yeah, way down the path. Yeah, I, I and the uh, only difference between them and us, you go ahead. I, well, I saw a company the other day that is, I mean, they're up and running, and they're, you know, this thing's almost done. I, I didn't get a lot of details on it, but it, it's basically a a mailbox setup that you would put out in front of your house, like you have a mailbox now. But it's oh, really, sure, it's a drone yes. port. It's going mm -hmm. to receive your packages from a drone. It's a drone port that you, you put out in your front yard instead of a mailbox. Yep. Well, I am, I'm 75 and I'm still working. Who knows how much longer I'm going to work, but I'm certain that I will see um, the switch from man-powered um, uh, trailer spotting to automated trailer spotting. They, uh, you know, the, I mean, as it is, more and more customers like Amazon are are, um, are either either asking tractor only or they are uh, insisting on the trailer sitting in the lot for a long time. So it's drop and pick all the time. Yeah. You know, in, a, in another four or five years, it's simply going to be pull up to the to the electronic reader. Uh, drop the trailer, and uh, and um, 
pick up another trailer who's out out front someplace waiting for you. Yeah. And everything else from there on that that trailer gets put in the lot, gets put up against the door by itself. And think about it. Um, if you have automated trailer spotting, you don't have to have two or three feet between the trailers anymore. Because <laughs> the machines never make any mistakes. <laughs> good point. Yeah. Yeah. Very, you know, very I, good point. I, uh, I talked with a doctor on an airplane once, a surgeon, and we got talking about automation. And he told me that um, he's automating as aggressively as he can. And he says, the reason I do it is every time I automate something, my cure rates go up. Precision. And I was talking with a, um, a, a pilot who was, you know, on the airplane sitting next to me. And I said, uh, so when do you guys, uh, um, do you fly automated landings or do you, you, you hand fly them for landing? Oh, we always hand fly them. And I said, but you can't automate, right? Oh yeah. Our airplanes have it. Yeah. I said, do you ever use it? He says, yes. Whenever the weather's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this, this is so. What is dangerous? They automate it. This is such a such a good topic for me. So imagine, you know, I, I've been speaking to owner operators and drivers my whole career. That's what I do. Um, when the whole automated, you know, autonomous vehicle thing came up, of course I was all over it. I was reading about it early. I was talking about it early, and I, no surprise, I knew it was going to happen. I got huge pushback. Well, why wouldn't I? People well, I'm talking to are going to get put out of work with this technology. And and I was accused of pushing this technology. And I said, no, you're, you're missing the point completely. We need to be looking around the corner. I care about your job. I care about my business. My business serves truck drivers, not autonomous trucks. If truck drivers go out of business, I go out of business. But I'm going to talk about it. So if you don't yep. like it, change the channel because I'm probably going to talk about it a lot. We need to understand this. And some of the pushback I got was it was it was so easy to to you know shut down the Here's one of the first arguments. Everybody wanted to call and say that truck will never be able to do my job. Well well really tell me what your job is. Well, you should see these docks that That's I have. That's the answer to, right there. <laughs> you should see these docks that I have to get into. There's no and I said, "Hold on." If you can do it, then you could tell a programmer how you do it, and that programmer can make that truck do it just like you do. But guess what? That truck will do it perfect every time. You never will. And, and they'll, they'll tackle the hardest problems first. Look at what, what cars have done. I don't know why people struggle with this so much, but, you know, new drivers are terrified of parallel parking. Well, guess what? Now your car parallel parks yeah. for you. That's the first problem they tackled. They have a, you know, Ford has a pickup that'll back up your trailer. You know, people who don't back up trailers have a hard time with it. The computer doesn't seem to have a very hard time with it. So that was one of the first arguments. Here's another one that absolutely shocks people. And I, and I want to get your opinion on this. So I, I forget the statistic, but I think the, the safety stats have gotten worse in the last couple of years on the highways. I think we kill like 100 people a day now on the highways. Does that sound about right? The, uh, the, cr the crashes, the fatalities or crashes per 
a million miles has gone up the last couple of years. That's what I thought. And, and I think, if, and I'm not just talking about commercial. I saw it yesterday. Yeah, okay. Uh, not just commercial vehicles. Oh, yeah, I mean, well, it's both sides. It's, yeah. it's large trucks and, and all cars. Yeah, so if we look at the numbers, I think we kill around 100 people a day. Day after day after day. It never stops. We do it every day. I made an outrageous statement. Well, it's 35,000 a year, so yeah. divide that by 350. There you go. Pretty, pretty close. Yeah. So I made an outrageous statement because somebody would call and say, that autonomous technology is going to be so dangerous. What are they going to do when it kills somebody? What about insurance? And I said, well, hold on. It, autonomous technology already killed people. It's, there's no doubt it's going to kill people. I said, but what if? What, what if I'm just going to propose something outrageous. What if we don't wait till it's even perfected? What if we just throw it out there knowing that it's going to kill people and we only kill 50 a day? Because we went to autonomous technology instead of depending on humans who are killing 100 people a day. The funny thing is, we would cut There's, the death rate in half yeah. and nobody would accept it. There's a, there's a very easy way to uh, sink that point home. There's no such thing as a drunk autonomous truck, is there? No. And... Autonomous trucks aren't watching videos on YouTube while they're driving, and I've had truck drivers that I absolutely know are doing it. <laughs> yes. Right? Yes, absolutely. Or, 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 or regular drivers, yes. And, and then I, then and, I said— And autonomous hey, trucks never—yeah. And I said, but wait a, and wait a minute. Let's think about something else. On commercial vehicles, if we take the person out of the vehicle and it crashes, that's one less person in the crash. <laughs> Ain't it? Uh, but we would never well, accept Here's that. my answer. Yeah. Here's my answer, my long-term answer to this challenge. And it goes back to the question you asked five minutes ago. And you said, what's the trucker's job? It is not. Uh, it is not to hang on to a steering wheel and change gears. It is to get the freight from one place to the other in the best way. Yes. And so rather than be a person who sits hour by hour by hour uh, steering down the, uh, the, the highway, uh, you're a person that figures out how to find capacity, how to move it efficiently for the customer. And... <laughs> I mean, this kind of this kind of productivity improvement has occurred uh, dozens of times since 1800, and each time, all of those people who are made jobless by the new technology, it takes a while, but they end up doing something far more better, far more powerful. I agree. And I mean, how many? Yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I've brought that point up to people before, and their response is. But it can't last forever. Why not? It has so far. It can't last forever. This idea that you put a whole bunch of people out of work, but we keep growing. more. There are more people working than ever. Uh, And that keeps uh, happening. I will give you. Yeah. Yeah. Their response was, well, at some point it's going to stop. This time it's going to stop. It's not going to work this time. It's worked every other time. I'll give you two examples. Two examples. A unit train of coal, not the, I could do the same calculations for a, 
a uh, 25,000 pound uh, load in a dump, but I use a train. The unit train coal has two guys in the in the in the uh, in the engine, uh, and it replaced a uh, Conestoga wagon with two draymen in the front and four horses or four mules. That unit train of coal does the work of twenty thousand um, draymen and forty or sixty thousand mules. Wow! And and. Uh, and yet there's a shortage of drivers. Right. Uh, and here's the other one. Remember that thing called a secretary? I, I was just thinking that <laughs> in my mind, I was just thinking that how labor intensive that, that yeah. job used to be. And there's a shortage of skilled women in the workforce, despite the fact that we put out, you know, I mean, if you go back to when you and I started, the average woman in the workforce was was doing low-level clerical work. Those jobs are all gone. And yet people are dying to get women into the workforce. You, you know, one of the stats we you know, see all the time, and I, I, found a better use for I, I haven't heard this in so long. Does anybody know anymore how many words they can type a minute? That used to be a really big thing. I do only because I was timed once because I was trying to get a job as a as a uh, as a as a late night tele teleprompter operator. And, and that was criteria. <laughs> and I'm as fast for, now as I was then. That was criteria for the job <laughs> yeah. then, right? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I could type 100 words a minute. So wow, I, yeah, they offered me the job. There you go. Yeah, but nobody talks you know, about uh, that anymore. Uh, 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 well, here's the uh, here's the political angle to this. Um, and my son came up with this. We were talking about the impending uh, automation of, of, of healthcare. And, um, and I was waxing uh, uh, futuristic about it and uh, talking about uh, the, um, the cost savings and service things and all. And, and yeah, he says, you know, the hardest thing about this will will be to keep the keep the government out of the way. Yeah, because we know damn well that those of us who, in the short term, and I I use the word us because it's not them, it's us. Those of us who, in the short term, are 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 going to have to change. Will ask the government to stop the change. You know, for instance. You get a blood test now, and by the way, isn't it amazing how much easier a blood test is now than it was 25 years ago? Oh, yeah. You get yeah. the answer online in the same day? Yeah. But those phlebotomists or those companies that do all that blood testing, that labor-intense or partial labor-intense blood testing, are going to get the AMA to lobby against allowing automatic blood testing. I know. Yeah, and you know, the, and, well, and you know, what's the what are the teamsters going to do about the automated trucks? I know, uh, you know, they're going to fight. Or let me be frank, what's OIDA going to do? Right, right. Yeah, OIDA's going to do the same thing. Yeah, yeah. So you know, the the question is, can we? At what point do the are the benefits so obvious that we'll say, okay, let it happen? Yeah, you know, and, and you know, in the, I'll give you, yeah. 
the, the, the blood testing thing, I, we're heavily involved in that. We do a lot of, of health work with drivers. And the beauty of those tests, now you talk about phlebotomists. For many of those tests, we don't need a phlebotomist anymore. Many tests can be done with a oh, simple no. finger stick at home now. You, you, just, you mail order well, the kit. And, yeah. You do a finger stick. You send it back. Yeah. And every year, there are more and more tests. Did you happen to follow the story of Theranos? The company? Of, of what? Theranos. Who? No, I don't know. Okay, so me, what, what was her name? Elizabeth? I can't think of her last oh, name. Oh, that one, yes. I know the story, yes. Yeah. The, yeah, uh, yeah. And they... The, the Stanford graduate yeah. that started that company. She's like yeah, 20 and they, years yeah. old. Um, that was just a yep. fascinating story. I read the book, so I got all the detail on it. What a fascinating story. She's, she's, it will happen. What she was trying to do will happen. Oh, she sure. just convinced everybody that it had already happened. It's one of the biggest scams already I've ever happened, seen. Yeah. Man, the way she pulled that off, she had so many people fooled. But really, all she was doing... She had me fooled. Me too. I mean, I, I would have believed... I, I did believe it. I mean, because we will get there. We've been heading that way. And her point was she oh, claimed... Soon she could do all kinds of tests with just a yes, finger okay. stick that she couldn't do. Yeah, okay. Well, you know, I have a, um, I have a pulse ox machine at home yeah. that I paid 15 bucks for. Uh, my, the, what did it cost 15 years ago <laughs> to get your oxygen tested? <laughs> right, right. I, I have the, the latest. We actually worked with Garmin directly, and we created, you know, Garmin makes watches and, and GPS, and, you know, sure. they're, they're really good at specializing. Like, you know, scuba divers love the Garmin watch that's designed for scuba divers, and people who ride bicycles a lot love the Garmin watch that's designed yeah. for people who ride bicycles. I have a, yeah. We work. I have with, a Garmin Golf watch. At, at golf. There's so mm -hmm. many examples of it. We worked with Garmin and developed a watch for truck drivers. It, What's it do? So it, we they develop three things all in tandem in the cab, which is, is pretty phenomenal now. So they have a, a very large GPS unit now, all the way up to 10 inches. You know, in a truck cab, we have all kinds of space. Um, so no yeah. reason not to make one that big at the technology. So you can cheap. see better, huh? You can see it yeah. better. You can display more information, what's coming up at the next exit, all, all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, that GPS unit is also an ELD and it connects to the watch and the watch has all the ELD features on your watch, but there's also a health. So it's got all kinds of trucking specific features on the watch and the GPS, but it's also, they're the leader in health monitoring. I mean, I, I have pulse ox on my watch. Mm -hmm. uh, I have blood pressure. I have heart rate. I have heart rate variability. I have instant stress readings on the watch. Um, if they've got the watch and the GPS, they can monitor their health data on the big 10 inch screen on their GPS that's coming from their watch. You know, if I had had one of those watches on uh, Sunday night, I would have uh, realized I was going into atrial fibrillation earlier when the Phillies were <laughs> finishing right. off the Padres. <laughs> you would have. Now, I caught right. it at 
at the end, but it was close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It would have told me, stand up and quiet down, boy. Yeah. Yeah. The technology in this watch is just incredible. I, I, here's something I, we, you know, the world changed three years ago and we do a lot with health and we had people that we had been working with for years who had really turned their health around and it had been stable for years. They weren't gaining the weight back. They weren't going back on Mm -hmm. medications. They were good. All of a sudden, you know, towards the end of 2020, we started noticing people were getting not so good results again. And, And immediately we thought, you slipped off your diet. You're doing something different or this wouldn't have changed. Yeah, and it turns out we were wrong. Um, it was nothing but stress. What was it? Stress. We were able to track it down. Oh, yes, of course, yes. Yeah, it was absolutely yeah, stress-related. Yes. The, the, the uh, experts who look closely at the COVID statistics or the, the excess deaths we've had since COVID came around, Yeah. Uh, are convinced that more of them happened because of stress than the virus. I believe it. We, we've been able to just so immediately, here's a new problem. That's what we do. We solve problems for our clients. Uh, so I immediately started working on a fix. And I, I don't want to get too deep into it, but I realized everything we do to try to help people with stress completely wrong. All we've ever told people to do around stress is avoid it. Every technique that everybody has ever told me about stress is avoiding stress. Go meditate. Be more mindful. Go take a walk in nature. Those okay, are all, yes, yes. Those are all wonderful things. I, I've been recommending those things for years. It was not working at all this time. Wasn't even making a dent in it. And I. Uh, the, so what did you learn? I'm interested. Yeah, here's what I've learned. Here's, here's the best way I can describe it. This has been about a two-year project for me, and we're, we're trying to wrap it up now. We're getting pretty close. And we've had tremendous results. So the more I looked at this, the more I thought trying to improve my stress levels by avoiding stress is like trying to run a marathon by avoiding running. It's never going to work. You, you can't do that. You can, you can lower your stress levels somewhat by avoiding it, but the minute you step back into the real world, you're toast again. So I, I started, Yeah, I'm still going to be a Phillies fan. Yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> I, I, I started to refer to this as a, we have a stress muscle, and our lifestyle and our diet has made our stress muscle very, very weak. We are not resilient against stress. So avoiding it isn't the answer. We have to go learn how to build our stress muscle. And there's, there's actually something called U-stress, E-U, U-stress, where it's like lifting a weight. You know, we're, when we lift a weight, we're actually damaging the muscle. We're pushing it beyond its ability. And then our bodies are so adaptive that when we, when we tell a muscle you have to lift that weight one more time and it can't, it fails. It will adapt so that it can do it one more time. And you do that by working it out very specifically. You put up a lot of resistance against that muscle in a short period of time and it will get stronger every time you do that. And there are ways to do that with your stress. And it's, we came up with four that are really, really effective. There are more, but these four, you can spend the least amount of time doing this every day, but it's something you've got to do kind of like working out. So it's um, cold exposure. 
taking really cold showers or taking cold plunges, excellent for stress resilience and a whole bunch of other things too. Heat exposure, uh, specifically with the, with uh, infrared saunas and infrared heat and light, um, really stressing the body with that heat. And then there are a bunch of other benefits to that as well. Um, a breathing technique. Have you heard of Wim Hof? They call him the Iceman. No. So no. Wim Hof is this guy from the Netherlands that for some reason in his teenage years decided he really liked going and sitting in cold water for some reason. Uh, and he, he started doing it and he started developing breathing techniques that would allow him to stay in there longer. He has all kinds of crazy world records. Now he's been studied by all kinds of scientists and he has sat in pure ice. They encase him in ice and he's been encased in ice for an hour and his body temperature never drops his core temperature. He, he's learned how mm. to control his autonomous nervous system so much that he's able to do these feats. He ran a half marathon in bare feet, uh, like halfway up Mount Everest at, at crazy high altitudes in the snow. And he ran a half marathon in bare feet. I mean, the guy's just, everybody thinks he's a freak of nature. Mm-hmm. He's not. And he'll tell everybody, I, I'm just another human being. I developed these skills. And, and so we, we use his breathing techniques as one of the others. And then, um, real short, uh, but pretty hard, um, effort at resistance training. So, you know, weights or bands or something that provides a lot of muscle resistance, those four things. And, and we only do the resistance training for 10 minutes. That's it. It's not some crazy hour in the gym with a bunch of weights. And, uh, it, it's about 10 minutes of, of really, you know, hard resistance for a very short period of time. And by doing that, where we build that stress muscle. So the more you do these four things, you know, a couple times a week or every day, if you can get to it, the more you do it, the more resilient you become to stress. You can put yourself in very stressful situations and you, your body doesn't react negatively to it anymore. Hmm, fascinating. Yeah. And, and one of the ways I was able to do that because how, how would, how did I measure all this? How, how did I even know that this was working? The only way I knew the, the watches now measure something called HRV, which is heart rate variability, not our heart rate, but it's measuring the space in between beats. And, you know, we, mm-hmm. we would think that if your heart rate was 60 beats a minute, Oh, my heart's beating every second, right? If it were truly every second, you'd be almost dead. Our heart rate should vary a lot. We should have a, you know, 0.4 millisecond between this beat and a 1.4 millisecond in the next beat. And the more it varies, the healthier you are. It is probably the best sign of overall health and fitness. The higher your heart rate variability is, the more it varies between beats, the healthier you are. And because I was able to measure that with the watch, new technology, new information, I was able to really prove that this is working. So all of the regular heartbeats I have uh, that sometimes go into AFib are a sign of strength, huh? 
Yeah, that's uh, yeah. I, I oh, actually, my. we have a cardiologist that. There's uh, an irony there. Yeah, we have a cardiologist yeah. that joins us on the show um, a lot. He used to be a traditional cardiologist. His father was. Now he's uh, he, he actually calls himself the the paleocardiologist or the natural health doctor. He comes on the show and and we geek out on all this kind of stuff. But it's nice to have, you know, his oh, verification wow. from the medical side that I'm not going to kill anybody with any of this stuff. Oh no, I'm not. Uh, I'm not making fun of this. No, I'm, yeah, I, you know, yeah. I mean, as a person who has stress issues, this is this is uh, important to me. Yeah, well, you and I will get together. Yeah, how about that? We can talk about that more because if you still yeah, have like some to. time, I know we've I've held you up for. Uh, yeah, I, I need to quit in uh, about half an hour. Okay, good. Let's jump into politics then. Where do you want to start? Good. Okay. Oh well, I'm in Southern okay. California, so let's let's let me, the, let's let me, talk AB five. Let me start with a question, bigger question, before we go to AB five. So that's one of my favorite topics. We we could sit here and go on and on about all the crazy things that this administration has done, right? I mean, it, it, I, I've never seen anything like it. We we can list problem after problem. They exist. They're horrible. We're we're setting records and all kinds of things, and none of them are good. My big question is why I, I i can't figure out the why at all well uh would you like me to answer that yeah all right so, uh, it's a we have developed a culture that is best represented by the democrats but also uh has a a, a big following on the republican side that uh, experts can run things better than individuals. And so uh, we say that um, uh, some guy in Sacramento, if I want to talk about AB5, uh, some guy in Sacramento knows more about what's important for a owner-operator than the operator owner-operator does himself. And, you know, these people go to the colleges that I went to, um, the fancy places, and they're taught all about policy. Oh, uh, they're taught by professors who um, who have made a living out of teaching that uh, experts know more than people do. Uh, and they, um, uh, these same people are the one who t- are the people who um, uh, with the same culture as what uh, uh, predominates at the Federal Reserve. And it predominates in Congress on both sides of the aisle, more so on the Democratic side, but pretty strongly on the Republican side as well. And so um, uh, uh, we, the, um, the ex, uh, uh, there's this belief the, that some of the, of the um, voters believe, I don't, but many do, that, uh, that some, some expert is it's going to make things better for me. I mean, that's the simple part of it. Uh, now, uh, if we look at AB5 as an example, there are lots of people who see a way to uh, uh, improve their personal situation by by using uh, the belief that experts uh, know the answer. And so we get the... the um, uh, stupid laws like AB5 that 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 are clearly beneficial to a particular set of um, of, of actors, uh, 
But you know, there's this c- competition between letting the marketplace know, do what it knows, and the idea that somebody like me, a consultant who went to Harvard, uh, knows better. Uh, and you know, and, and and so we get those. And also, by the way, uh, we have a political culture that, by the way, has been rewarded uh, by the voters on both sides of the aisle. The political culture says the government will solve my problems. Uh, and um, and yeah, and so we have a culture, you know, in the states and in in Washington. Uh, and to some extent, among the um, the big businesses and small businesses, that 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 says, got a problem, I need to fix it. Well, you know, for instance, let's look at uh, container supply in Long Beach. We had a shortage of containers that was caused simply by a surge in demand. There are some operational problems that Long Beach has to contribute to, to it, sure. But the big issue was, is we doubled, you know, we increased the flow of containers to Long Beach by uh, 25%. And uh, sure enough, the system clogged. Now, somebody in Sacramento thinks they can solve that problem. Somebody who's never been to, uh, you know, who's never spent a day on the docks in uh, Long right. Beach. Right. Never owned a container, but they probably went to uh, went to USC and have have a, have a degree in public policy. Uh, and they in, they enabled the Congress, the uh, state senator from someplace to say, "Hey, I've solved the problem for you. It'll never happen again." Now, you know, I, let me make a, a strong qualifying statement here. Okay. Uh, just so people know where I'm I'm coming from, I am a um, pretty thoroughly trained Austrian economist, and what that means is that I believe that uh, for economic things, as opposed to cultural things, economic things that the that the free market is infinitely superior to government regulation. And so, whenever you, we bring up politics about economics, as opposed to safety, or as opposed to uh, uh, some other things. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to say, get out of my way. That that's why we love but, you. You know, I, I, I would also we would be fools, you and me and and the rest of the people who would like a less regulated economy. We would fool, we'd be fools to to ignore how it got here, and um, and what our contribution is to the problems we have. And 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 I'll give you for instance, which is a better a better um, a, and it's something I think that that uh, uh, you will agree with. Uh, almost every one of the safety regulations that I can think of that that uh, that that regulate trucking is the result of a a private market failure of some sort. People working too long, oh, people yeah. speeding, yeah. people yeah. not fixing their brakes. Yeah, you're right. I do and, agree. You know, and you know, and and so we failed, and the government stepped in. Now, uh, I think the story is profoundly different when it comes to economics. Like, 
I mean, excuse my ranting and, and raving, but I, I saw reports two, two months ago or so of those uh, protests by the, uh, the owner-operators at the, at the port in Long Beach. Yes. And, you know, here we have independent businessmen, men, protesting against the government, not allowing them to do what they want with their own lives and capital. I mean, is there anything less uh, fundamentally American as that? So do you want to hear the story of why I'm not on SiriusXM anymore? Yeah, yeah, give me your version. I've heard that <laughs> I've I, I, heard several versions, but I'd love to hear yours. You know, I, I've been kind of out of touch with the bigger industry the last couple of years. I haven't been out at event. I'm actually going to an event next week. I'm leaving on Friday on the train uh, to head to Chicago and then down to Memphis. I'm going to do the refuel um, trucking leadership conference in Memphis, and then I'm going to head over to Nashville. We're doing it again over there. Um, so I, I kind of don't really know what stories might have traveled around the industry about how this happened. I've been in my own little bubble. So here's, here's what did happen. Uh, remember at the height of the Canadian driver's protest? Yes, yes. The, was, uh, I, yeah, the business of the borders, right? Yeah, I was very, right? very vocal about what was going on up there. I was, I was actually um, uh, just in awe of the drivers themselves and how well they handled themselves and, and what they were doing. So I was in full support of them. I was, I was digging and you know, finding out that um, their trucks were being confiscated, their bank accounts were being confiscated. I had a listener who was down in the right there at the right at the center of it. So he was one of the first when they started breaking it up. His truck got confiscated. His wife ran a business out in Western Canada. She was not there. She was home running the business. They confiscated her bank account and, and his. And he, oh, he, it, it was all, I was furious over all of this that was going on in Canada. The U.S. was, you know, all of their protests were starting up. And I, I was a little nervous. I was because our trucking protests have not had a great history. Most have been horribly ineffective, horribly led. Uh, I've been very critical of most of the trucking protests when owner-operators try to go to Washington. And not that I don't think it might be necessary, just the way it's been done has done way more harm than good. So I was a little nervous about it, and that's why I was so impressed by the way the Canadians handled it. So this was a big topic of mine every day, and I was a little fired up about it. I was getting pretty emotional about it right at the height of it. I'm on the air talking about it, and I'm watching the stress on my watch go up through the roof. And while I'm talking about it, I, a headline, I have a news aggregator that, you know, gathers trucking news all day long so I can look at it in the morning, and it popped up, and there was a news thing there. So as somebody else was talking on, on my show, I, I look over at the news, and it's a congressman from Arizona, an ex-Marine who made the statement First off, it's an ignorant statement. We'll know why in a second. But it was one of the most outrageous un-American statements I think I've ever heard. And this from a sitting congressman and ex-military said, let those truckers come to D.C. We'll confiscate their trucks and give them to a smaller company that wants to work. And I went off and I said, he should be shot for treason. And I was canceled before my show was over that day. Well, I don't, um, I 
I don't uh, uh, applaud your choice of words, but I sure uh, agree with your uh, your outrage over that man's behavior. I was furious, and no, no, at you know, nobody said, "Do you want to apologize to him?" I, I, I would have said no, but what I would have said is. I'm not sure I'm going to apologize, but I, I would love him to come on my show if I still had one and explain his statement. Why isn't his mm-hmm. statement outrageous? Sure, mine was. I get it. But why isn't his statement outrageous? And what? And ignorant. Stupid. Ignorant of what was happening. We're going to take their trucks away and give them to a smaller company that wants to work. Do you realize who these people are? That is their truck. That's their business. Who, who are you going to give it to? This isn't, this isn't a bunch well, of Swift hey, drivers down there. Did, did, um, did the governor of, um, of um, Oregon shut the economy down uh, in 2020. Oh yeah, yeah, it was a mess out here. Yeah, well, yeah, well, and here's my point. What what does that say about his understanding of how the economy works? He has none. Exactly. You know, my uh, uh, the governor of Pennsylvania said we're 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 forbidding everything but essential businesses. And my wife looks at me and she says. They're all essential. Of course they are. They're all essential. Yes. Um, well, I mean, that's, you know, we're back to this point about them uh, and your, your, your example is a beautiful one. We're back to this example of um, uh, experts thinking they know what the answer is. It, it, yeah, and and then and when did we become so hypersensitive to everything that just because somebody speaks a word, we think they need to be punished? Well, well, I mean, it, you know, it it comes from a fundamental misunderstanding of uh, of epidemiology. How how's that for a word? Huh? <laughs> um, uh, you know, that was all 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 wrapped up in the spheres over COVID. And here is um, is a construction that 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 served us very poorly throughout this event. And and let me qualify my my statements. I recognize that this particular virus was the worst we've had in a hundred years, worse since nineteen nineteen, uh, and that a lot of people died uh, earlier than they would have because of it. And, and there were somewhere around a million tragedies or something like that uh, associated with it. And that kind of a threat means that we should, from a medical standpoint, do everything we can to um, uh, prevent the deaths. We, that, we, we did um, nothing to prevent deaths. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm halfway through what I'm going to say, and I agree okay. with you 100%. <laughs> okay. Uh, what... Uh, uh, and, you know, so the governor of Oregon and the governor of, of Pennsylvania were absolutely right to listen to their their uh, public health experts and to pass on all this advice to us. However, those people in the CDC, by the way, there's 21,000 of them, uh, 
those people in the CDC and the Public Health Department of Pennsylvania and Oregon, in at no time did they balance off the gains of sequestration of all of these these don't touch your neighbor um, uh, rules against the cost of them. Right. Go ahead and shut the economy down. Yeah. It was never. And then we discovered, oh my goodness, we put a third of the workforce out of work. Got to fix that. And thank goodness we did. Yes. Yeah. But you know, for instance, and and this is my pet peeve and, and, and then I'll turn that. This is a tiny pet peeve, but it's a great example of the problem. I'm a singer. I may have told you that. Yes. And I sing in a very high-end choir, two high-end choirs in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And um, uh, the COVID threat has been gone from Pennsylvania for at least six months, if not longer. This My choir master is still making me wear a mask when I sing. <laughs> nobody else in the city, nobody else in the church is wearing a mask, but the choir people are. <laughs> Well, you know, that it is that emperor is not wearing clothes. Yeah, yeah. Look, you and I, I, uh, I, and I, you know, yeah, I really ahead. want to respect your time here, and I appreciate all the time. I know you've only got about 10 minutes sure, left. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, I want mm-hmm. to ask you for a prediction. And I want to go back to, you gave us a great economic prediction. You gave us some timing. You know, I, I love that. Um, this is probably a little bit of an unusual prediction for you, but I, I think you're just as well qualified as anybody else I could think of. We just touched on AB5. I had a guest uh, who's also a speaker at the event I'm coming up with. Um, she's an attorney that really uh, focuses on this issue in trucking. Um, two issues, really. She does a lot of the big nuclear lawsuits, trying to protect carriers from that kind of stuff. Uh, but she also works a lot in the uh, lease agreements with independent contractors, you know, trying to keep carriers out of trouble with that. So we got talking about this and I said, you know, I have dealt with this independent contractor issue for my first year in business. My, my second, I'm sorry. Yeah, absolutely. My, My first year in business, I was an independent contractor. I had one truck. I was leased to a carrier. My second year in business, I bought another truck and put a driver in it. And I was, my second year in business, I was 23 years old. And I asked everybody around me because I didn't know what else to do. And I said, how do I pay this guy? Oh, well, you know, figure out what you're going to pay him, cut him a check. And I said, what about taxes and all that? Oh, nobody bothers with that. Don't bother. All right. So I got caught by the IRS. And they said, wait a minute. I, we think this person's an employee. And then I started studying the rules because now I kind of knew what I needed to go study. And I agreed with them. I didn't disagree with them. He was an employee, and I should have been treating him that way. And and luckily, the IRS had a, a safe harbor clause. And because I could show I was doing it because it's kind of an industry standard thing, and a lot of people do it, and it wasn't malicious or intentional, no harm, no foul, no penalties, just from this day forward, treat him as an employee, everything will be fine. Good. I did that. Um, and that became a thing for me. I helped other owner operators and small fleets realize you put a driver in your equipment, they're an employee, forget all the tests. I don't care about all those questions. They're an employee. Treat them that way. Lease purchase plans start to get into like gray area. Action. Yeah. Um, you know, lease purchase plans start to get into a gray area. So 
I have been dealing with this from the, like I said, my second year in the industry. Now, all of a sudden, I'm looking at this issue. We have AB5, which is passed in California, and the Supreme Court didn't even want to hear it. I, I, no, no ruling. We're just going to kick it back to the court, so now it's law in California. We have a bill in Congress that's passed the House, um, hasn't made it past the Senate, it's, it's AB5 at a federal level. They're using the same B prong mm-hmm. of the test, which I, I can't imagine what that would do to our economy. Forget trucking, our whole economy could be upended with something like that. Oh, then on top well, of I'm that, an independent contractor. <laughs> yeah. How, how, it's, uh, I can't even imagine how many industries use independent contractors that we know nothing about. I know some that do. There's an awful lot I don't know what I don't know. I have to believe it would be disastrous for our economy if anything like that passed. But now on top of that, we I, still have the I IRS. I don't agree with you, by the way. So when you, oh, oh good. Yeah. I'd love to hear that. Um, we have the, well, uh, still have the IRS yeah. 21 so, question test, which has kind of been what we've used for decades. Yeah. We have the AB5, which has made it into law in California. They're trying at the federal level. Now we have the Department of Labor, who is going to come in and create a whole bunch of new criteria. Who are we supposed to listen to? Well, I mean, this certainly is a uh, a a, um, a boon to the legal profession. But here's my point, and you're proof of it, by the way. Um, and I'm just, let's just talk about trucking uh, uh, to keep the story simple. This is what happens every time the government regulates economic matters in the United States. Uh, people very, very quickly find a workaround and they put it into play. And after a a, uh, a time of a little bit of chaos, maybe in, in this case, let's talk about national AB5, take about a year to resolve it. Uh, a year later, uh, it's just part of the, of the, the um, network, or, you know, it's part of the environment, except that owner operators, um, the people that were uh, contracted, the carriers, uh, will have a different name. Now, the cost of it is that year of chaos and the fact that when we settle down into the new world, the more highly regulated world, cost will be a little higher. Now, if you if you run that cost over four million trucks, you're talking about, you know, billions of dollars a year. All I'm saying is that, and here's my point. People like you who run businesses are far more clever than the regulators in Sacramento or Washington. You're right. We already have our solution. We will we'll we find a way around it just as – right, as my point. Yeah, we already have. Now, You're that right. doesn't make that, that – I find that whole concept outrageous and unconstitutional, but then I'm not a, a – um, Supreme Court justice. So that leads me to to one more question I'd love to ask you before we run out of time. The the quickest solution, and I think the cleanest. You know, we have this the um, two check 
solution where you make them an employee and then you rent their equipment from them. That's been around forever. That's kind of one way around this. I don't like it. I, I didn't become an entrepreneur to be somebody else's employee at the same time, but it's a yeah, solution. Yeah, right. mm-hmm. The other one that, that will work in many, many cases is the owner operator becomes a carrier. The carrier has broken sure. authority. It, that's a, here's, here's my question. Why do we still have federal authority? What's the point of it? Oh, my, my. You haven't poured me a drink yet, have you? <laughs> I'd uh, love to. If you had time and we were together, I'd love to. Why do we have authority? Well, well, Why does the, that whole okay, mechanism well, a, even well, exist? Well, I, it, 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 it is a, it's a means to identify, a, 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 well, two things. It's, it's leftover... Um, uh, uh, from uh, uh, regulated days. Right. Yeah. And the government wants to know who's out there. So in case they want to regulate them, they can. But in the short term, what it means is they can more effectively keep track of safety violation. That's that's the only use of it. And except not, to tell me as a market research who's out there. It's not necessary to do that. We have lots of industries that need all kinds of safety rec, uh, you know, systems to, to, to control safety. And I, I get all that. Now, I'm not against it. We need to be safe. I'm fine with that. But none of those other industries have to go ask the federal government for permission to be in business. Oh, they do. No, they have to ask the state government to be in business. Sort of. I am. Sort of. You know, I'm, I'm kind Restaurants of a, do? Yeah, some do, but it's it's not as cumbersome. It's not as, it's just like you said, it's, it's all this leftover clunky stuff that should just go away. There are so many easier ways to do the same Most thing. Most of us should. I agree. And, and you know, and we've talked about the future in 20 years when every, oh, hell, in 10 years when every truck has a identifier that tells the the, uh, the authorities where that truck is at all times so they can charge them tolls for every mile they drive. Um, uh, 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 Got to pay for the highway some way. But uh, when that happens, it's easy to identify not only whether the guy's cheating and unsafe or the woman, uh, it is easy to to say, okay, I'm turning your um, your truck off. Yeah, and you don't need authority for that. You just need a chip. Yeah, I, I, I just now you know. Uh, yeah, that whole thing to me just seems like so archaic, and it should have just disappeared. It has almost no. It, there's better ways of doing it. One more thing, real quick, with Go ahead. possible hydrogen electric trucks already on the market. Um, pure electric trucks already on the market, hybrid trucks already, just uh-huh. standard battery electric hybrids, diesel hybrids. Yeah. Why are we waiting so long to scrap the fuel tax and just put a mileage tax in? Uh, my guess is there's quite a bit of resistance by people who think that they're going to pay more. That'd be my guess. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, you're right. We should just go to mileage tax. Now, the, no, no, I want the easy. The, the answer is when you do a fuel tax, it's much easier to measure the use and to collect the money. Right. You're you get, right. That's what you get the truck stop to do it for you. Whereas yeah. if I, if, if I put it on the truck, then I have to, you know, the trucker it, has to pay it and I have to dun them. 
Is, um, isn't that now there are ways to do it? You know, I have a yeah. Yeah, of course. Go ahead. Yeah, and I, I was just going to say, yeah, isn't there are plenty that, ways to do it. Yeah, isn't that really kind of the same thing with the independent contractor? They it, they they're going to collect the tax, but it's just much harder to collect it from an independent contractor. Make him an employee, and that all those problems go away. Mm, uh, I'm not quite so uh, forgiving of that explanation. But I'm not going to. I don't. Uh, I want to have dinner yet tonight, <laughs> and I'm not contradicting I, you in the sense of uh, uh, you know. It's just I think I think there is uh, a much more sinister, um, we yeah, uh, bureaucratic reason. I, I'll, I'll look forward to when control. we can talk about that because I love, by the way, when you do contradict me, and and here's why: when you contradict me, I know I'm about to learn something. Well, you know, somebody taught me that years ago, and and uh, I hope that I I invite criticism the same way you do. Yeah. You know, the guy said, when somebody interrupts me and contradicts me, I listen, and you know, he may be right. <laughs> I, I'm about to learn something. Yeah, I'm about to learn something. Yeah. So I like yeah. that. Yeah, and and uh, Peter Drucker, the um, the great management thinker of the late. Uh, 20th century uh, said that um, the time to uh, pay the most attention where you learn most is when you're wrong. Yes. So you get problems. That's the time to really look because it's almost certain that you, you're well, uh, 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 that guy I quoted before there's, there's uh, something uh, that you don't know that you don't know. (laughs) Yep. With (laughs) that, I, I, cause yeah. I'll just keep going Good. and, and I want to let you get off to your dinner and your drink. And I, I wish I was having it with you and hopefully someday soon we'll be able to do that. But I appreciate this so much. Our listeners fun. are going to love it. They always do. So thank you so much. All right. I'll be glad to talk again. See you, Kev. All right. We'll talk to you soon. All right. We are going to wrap this up and we will see you next time. Be safe. Be profitable, be fit and healthy, always do the hard work and master the journey.